Welcome to Bowling Springs Baptist Church, where we learn and grow together in Christ. We now join the church in worship. Good morning. Good to see each one of you this morning. And uh, you know it's a little different up here. We've got the daycare program tonight, and we've got that cleared off for that service tonight so uh, that's why it looks a little different when you look up here now um first i do want to welcome you uh and uh if you're visiting with us you'll find a card there in your pew rack where you can just sign there uh, your name address so forth so we can get back in touch with you and let you know we're glad that you were with us today also, our care cards are out there. Our care ministry goes on. If you know folks that need a church home or people that are going through certain situations that they could uh, need a church family or whatever, you just uh, feel free to call us at any time. And um, as I said, the daycare program is tonight at 6 o'clock. I plan to attend to that. I think that'll be a good time. And um, you have, I think, is an insert, uh, the little program that they have. It's always good that we can support this daycare and the children and the parents. Uh, that is an important thing. So I hope you'll keep that in mind. Also, the Gardner Webb Thanksgiving dinner next Sunday night at six o'clock. We need a covered dish. So we need some food in the covered dish. <laughs> so uh, uh, bring that and that'll be next Sunday night at six o'clock. Also, this week is Operation uh, Christmas Child Collection Week. We've done this, I think, for some time. Uh, so come and help, if you can, to, to be a part of that. Um, if you were in Sunday school today, you should have heard something about the Broughton Christmas. Uh, we've started collecting gift bags for patients. Broughton has also mentioned that patients enjoy reading the newspaper. If you would be interested in contributing to that, please let the church office know. We will take money and buy as many subscriptions as we can. Keep in mind that the Advent season is uh, coming up. Pay attention to the encounter, the bulletin for worship and ministry opportunities. There's always special services going on and you don't want to miss anything, so just keep informed there. Um, and uh, special thanks goes out to the Student Ministries Committee and the Courage Women's Sunday School class for their ministry to the Garden Web students this past week. They fed them over uh, after the worship service. They did a great job. Wesley said that he was just so pleased with, uh, with how they did. Uh, proposed budgets are out today. You will have, we will have a Q&A session on Wednesday if you're interested at 645 at the beginning of prayer meeting. The budget will be voted on next Sunday at the business conference. So keep that in mind. Uh, Wesley is not here today. He's preaching at Double Shoals. We wish him well in that. I got this uh, note from Paul right before the service from Terry Hamrick, Russell and Heather Voiles. The triplets have dropped and they're at the hospital. So we need to be praying for them at this time. And I'll be heading out there right after the service to see how that is going. But we need to be definitely remembering them. Helen has our mission moment. Helen. 
1 John 3, 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Have you had your mission moment today? Did you realize you have a mission moment on your face? Some might say yes, others not sure. But if you smiled today, you gave something so simple to someone who probably didn't even ask for it. Without thinking, you smiled. You shared a moment with someone you might be just passing by. Never thought about that being a mission, may not really be one, but the outcome may be the mission. Think about a child or a group of children or adults here in Boiling Springs or in another country. One of my favorite things is the laughter and smiles of children. They are happy and joyous. But think of one that might not be happy. It is your job this season to make them smile. One thing I took away from the trail of treats was not only the children, but the adults that were with them. When we smile and we greeted and we talked, they smiled, they greeted, and they talked. So simple a mission. I help each week, each month, excuse me, with a group of young ladies. They bubble like little children. Their hands are always busy. They love to give, especially to children. They are so loving and so caring. They want to share that love with others. They want to give their smiles away. Through them and through us, have you ever thought about how fortunate and blessed we are? Not only with little things, but things we take for granted, even big things that many families can't afford. So think about a simple gift that you could give. Imagine the face of the child. What happens? He smiles. That child may never have had a book, a pack of crayons, a coloring book, a stuffed animal, something that they could call their own. And maybe someone would spend a moment with them, coloring, reading, hugging. More importantly, we've shared. These same children, and many more, hopefully, will open a shoebox. And the joy and the laughter, the smiles are unending, having something that is now theirs. Maybe things they've never even seen before. You can help provide these items and more. So simple. Over here is a pile of little things bought for a dollar that'll bring a smile. You can help provide. Participate as a family with a shoebox, a book, or both. Or donate so others can help. So simple. This Wednesday, the children and the youth and hopefully their families will team up in the LEC to laugh, to smile, to love over their shoeboxes. Little things as simple as a ball, a toothbrush, a silly sock, a stuffed animal, small items, huge to a child who's never had that. Just take a moment, share your love with a child here in our community and in our country and another country. But during this season, it doesn't just have to be a shoebox. 
It can be a rotten supper bag. It can be a roll of paper towels or a box of Kleenex. The needs are endless. The idea, though, is to share. What God has given us, especially during this season, is endless. And remember, even the simplest of gift will bring a smile on the face of someone who doesn't have that. God loves us, and he loves all the little children of the world. Take your hymnals, please, and turn to number 604 as we sing together, Come, All Christians, Be Committed. It tells us to command to love each other, to show mercy to each other, and to be committed to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand as we sing, please, number 604. I did not have any girls up here this morning. How are y'all doing? Good, me too. 
How many of you have a pair of binoculars? Grady, what do you do with your binoculars? Look for stuff. Good. Binoculars are really amazing. You can look at something that is very far away, and it brings it right up to you. My dad takes binoculars to ball games so that he can see the action better. My husband takes binoculars when he goes hunting to help him find the animals that he is hunting. And my grandfather likes to watch deer every night in his yard. So he can look through a pair of binoculars and he can watch deer from a great distance and watch what they are doing. But the deer do not even know that he is watching. This reminds me that we are all being watched. Other people are watching us to see what we are doing. But more importantly to remember is that the Bible tells us that God is watching us. In Job 34, 21, it says, His eyes are on the ways of men. He sees their every step. That means that he sees us when we are fighting with our brother or sister. He sees us when we don't act the way we should in school. And he sees us when we talk back to our parents. He sees everything we do and every step that we take. So since God is watching us and he sees everything we do or say and how we treat other people, we should be very careful and make sure that we are doing things that please him. Would anyone like to pray for us this morning? Okay, I'll say our prayer. Bow your head. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful November morning. Thank you for each of these boys that are here today. And thank you for everything that you do. Thank you that we have the factor that we know that you see everything we do. Help us to live in such a way that all we do is pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. next hymn, you will need a bulletin as we're going to be singing the words from In Christ Alone, that new hymn that uh, has been very popular. Let's stand as we sing, please. In Christ Alone. <clears throat>
Let's bow together. Father, one of the great truths that you can teach us is that we see the value in all people. We see the great value in little children. We see great value in people for whatever reason are not part of the family of God, but that you love as if they were. We see great value in older people who sometimes need help and assistance, who have spent a whole life serving you. We see great value in young people and their enthusiasm, their idealism. We see great value in humanity. Sometimes we see people that do not have the best of economic situations. We see people that perhaps because of past mistakes are living difficult lives. But we look at them and we see great value in them. Great redemptive value in their lives and in their contributions. Father, may our church, through the lives of its people, show that no matter what a person's station, no matter what their situation, no matter what their past, no matter what their age, that, Lord, all of these people are precious to us. And may we approach them, love them, draw them, because we see them as great value in your family. Bless us through this worship service. These things we ask in thy name. Amen. Take your hymnals, please, and turn to 391. This is a hymn that you probably may not know, but it is, has a tune that you do. The tune is the same hymn that we have, All That Thrills My Soul is Jesus, but it's a, a new text. Let's stand as we sing, 391, please.
too, this morning, would like to invite you to the daycare program tonight. Uh, the three-year-olds, if you'll look on your program, they're going to sing Heavenly Sunlight. Heavenly Sunlight, Heavenly Sunlight, flooding my love with glory divine. Heavenly Sunlight, Heavenly Sunlight, hallelujah, Jesus is mine. Now, they may not realize what they're singing, but it blesses the soul of the adults. Come and hear them tonight. You will be blessed. Let us pray. Our Father, we do thank you for the wonderful sunlight today that you have brought to us. Father, it is flooding our souls, and we are so happy we can say, Hallelujah, Jesus is mine. Father, take these offerings that we have brought and make them a blessing, not only to this church, but all around the world, and help us to use them wisely. Father, today we do come humbly praying for Heather and for Russell and those three triplets. Father, we have prayed for them, and we know that you are going to uh, uh, honor those requests that they be born healthy and strong. And Father, we come again to you one more time asking you that you will make this possible. Father, thank you for all that you do for us, for the way that you blessed us, the way that you cared for us. Father, we love you, and hallelujah, we're so happy. You are our Savior. Amen.
Will you honor God our Father by standing as we read his holy scriptures? The scripture is taken from James 2, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into a meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there, sit at my, on the floor at my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? May we not show favoritism. May we show respect all of God's people. Thank you.
because it has some very practical suggestions or commands to Christians how they ought to live their lives. One of the church fathers called it a right straw epistle. I think it was Luther because it didn't have too much theology in it. Well, in James, the theology is live the practical life. This is how you translate that theology into day-to-day living. Um, and the scripture di- that Diane read this morning about the poor man being shuffled into the corner, a man with fine clothing being escorted down to a, the chief place. That's a, uh, a very startling picture. It says a man with fine, goodly apparel. That's the way one translation says it. Another translation says bright clothing. Uh, in that day, if someone had wealth and wanted to let people know, he would dress up like this with very bright clothing to just draw attention to himself. There was no concept of matching clothes. You know, we have a lot to do about does my shirt match my pants or my coat, you know, or does it match? I know when Carol first met me, when we went on our first date, she, I think she told me later she took pity on me because nothing matched. And she was right, too. I had no thought of that whatsoever. Uh, she helped me out in that a great deal. But in that day, you know, you'd have stripes and plaids and all kinds of different combinations of color just to kind of draw people's attention, I guess. There was not only bright clothing in this, on this wealthy man, but a gold ring. And maybe he made great display of this ring that was very expensive. And at the same time, a man comes in with vile clothing, a poor man, a peasant man, plain ordinary clothing, maybe below ordinary. Maybe it was the best clothes he had. Maybe he was coming to church because it was an act of desperation. He needed help. He needed encouragement. And James says, you show great respect for the rich man and you place him in a, put him in a place of honor. You tell the poor man to sit over there in the corner. You show deference to the wealthy and ignore the poor man altogether. And what James says is you have shown partiality. You have become a respecter of persons. You have shown favoritisms. Phillips says it this way, you have made a class distinction in your mind. And if you skip down a few verses, you find out that this person was ignored or despised, this poor person, not because they had said something rude or they had done some foolish thing or some worldly thing or some stupid thing. No, they were just classed that way because of the way they dressed. Their perceived economic condition. The implication is if this person were well off, You would look at them differently, or the people of the church would, or treat them differently. Let's be clear, folks. In God's church, this kind of snobbishness, contempt, this kind of discrimination is all part of a worldly attitude, and these are attitudes that should not be present in God's church. 
I've often heard, not often, but a few times in my ministry, when uh, maybe people didn't know I was hearing, someone would be visiting the church and uh, they, I would hear words such as this. Well, you know, those people are not our kind of people. What in the world does that mean? I wonder if they're God's kind of people. Does God care for them? I've heard that. So the church has a narrow view of its kind of people. It becomes a select church, a narrow church. To have the family of God where all people are respected irregardless of their situation because they are children of God. Now, people out in the world, in the world situation out there in the secular world, they may be judged. They may be judged and looked down upon or given favoritism because of their economic condition, their appearance, their clothes, the situation in their lives. But when you walk through these doors or any doors of the Christian church, those distinctions ought to cease. When I was at Big Springs up in Hollis, we started a ministry. We realized there were a number of children in the community that did not go to church, and we were trying to think of some way to make an impact. And so we got flyers and we stuck them in the mailboxes. Anybody that wants our van to go around at, before Sunday school and pick up children in the community, just parents call us. So we took one Saturday and we spent most of the day, it's a pretty big area up there, we started getting calls. And we started picking up children. And it grew to me a ministry where we'd be picking up 15, 20 children, sometimes more, Sunday morning. Now, these children didn't know how to act in church. They had probably never been in church. It wasn't their fault. What's an eight-year-old going to do? I think I'll drive myself to church today. <laughs> no. It wasn't their decision. It was their parents' decision. So they didn't know what Sunday school was. They didn't know what worship service was. They barely knew who the preacher was. But the saving grace of that ministry, my friends, was the people of the church bought into it. If they misbehaved, they gently worked with them to show them how to respect God's house and how to, uh, how to conduct themselves in church. Oh, we couldn't let them sit together, even the older ones, because, you know, we had to divide them up, you know, so they weren't in one big group, you know, all kinds of things might happen. But they slowly learned. They slowly learned. And in time, some of them accepted Christ. We had a few parents that started coming because their kids were excited about what they were learning, and they accepted Christ. And it was worth it all. But the thing that made it work was the people were open to it. They said, yes, let, maybe they don't have the best of clothes. Maybe they don't live in the best situation, but it's not their fault. It doesn't matter anyway. We're here to try to win people. We're here to try to influence people. The scripture is filled with the truth, my friends, that we, as God's people, should not be respecters of persons. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 1.17, Leviticus 19, in the book of Samuel, you remember the story of the prophet Samuel where he told Jesse, one of your sons is going to be king. And he went to the house 
to let the sons pray before him. And they all primped up, I'm sure, to make a big impression. And they all paraded before uh, Samuel. Maybe some of them were very tall and good-looking and athletic-looking, looked apart. But Samuel looked them all over. <clears throat> you got anybody else? Well, there's just David out there, but, you know, he's a kid. We knew he wouldn't be a part of this process. He's out there taking care of the sheep. Well, bring him in. He's the guy. He's the guy. Don't be a respecter of persons. God judges not as men. God judges by the condition of the heart. <clears throat> David was a man after God's own heart, even with all of his failings. You see the same thing in the New Testament. One of the key ones we've been studying Acts on Wednesday night, Cornelius. When Peter had the vision, you remember, and he saw all the animals coming down the sheet in a sheet, and the word of God said, take and eat. Peter said, I shouldn't eat anything unclean. And God said, don't you call anything that I've made unclean. And when he said that, he wasn't talking about just animals. He was talking about people. And finally, when God told him to go to Cornelius, <clears throat> and here was a man who was a Roman, the enemy of Israel. Here was a man who was a part of the Roman army. Here was a man who was an officer in the Roman army. And Peter said, I have come to understand and learn that God is no respecter of persons. You see that teaching in Romans 2.11. 1 Peter 1.17, Colossians 3.25, Ephesians 6.9, Galatians 3.26 and 28. People saw this quality in Jesus himself. If you look uh, at the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 12, verse 14, And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful, and defer to no one. For you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Even people who saw Jesus knew that these kind of artificial distinctions of a person's worth were not a part of who he was all about. Jesus paid no attention to rank or station in life. He could reach out to the wealthy and well-born. He could reach out to the poor and destitute. It didn't matter to him. And we see examples of all of that. He reached out to the Samaritan woman. The woman caught in adultery. Peter, James, and John were selected as disciples. They were probably lower middle class, just plain fishermen, not great theologians or academicians. But not only did he reach out to the poor and the destitute, he reached out to the wealthy and highborn. Matthew was a tax collector. That made him a very wealthy man. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector of Jericho. Nicodemus was a part of the Sanhedrin. That would be like the Supreme Court of Israel. Not only was Nicodemus reached out to Joseph of Arimathea, who also became a secret follower of Jesus. He reached out to the rich young ruler and tried to touch him. If you had much of this world's goods or you didn't, if you were young or old, educated, uneducated, destitute, or wealthy, it did not matter. Jesus saw the heart. This is what we need to see, my friends, when we look out there in our community. God does not judge by outward appearance. He does not judge on past misdeeds, but the present state of the heart. 
Now, in the world, it's a different thing. We understand that. People are classed by their birth, their race, their property, their, their groups, their levels, who they socialize with, what they drive, where they live, who they know, all these things. But these things do not factor in to the idea that God sees worth in all of us. Interesting story is told of Mahatma Gandhi. When he was a young man, before he got onto the world stage. You know, Gandhi was the one that finally helped India break away from the British Empire. But as a young man, he spent some time in South Africa. And early in his career, he was invited by a white English friend to go to the church where this friend of Gandhi's was going to preach. He asked Gandhi just to, to come. And in this early stage in Gandhi's life, he was fascinated by Christianity. He was fascinated by Jesus. He was even thinking in his mind of really getting serious about pursuing Christianity. So in this formative time in his life, he went to this church to listen to his friend preach, but he was turned away at the door because his skin wasn't white. And the opponent of the caste system in India found a caste system at the door of the Christian church. It goes without saying that that ended his search and curiosity about becoming a Christian. What a difference that might have made if someone would have welcomed him in to that church. There is no room. There is no room, my friend for class prejudice or a caste system in Christianity because there is none in the heart of God. What James speaks of is that we're guilty of estimating people superficially rather on their basic fundamental humanity. God does not accept the outer appearance but the inner reality. That's what he looks for James Dobson we know that name for many years was on focus on the family he, with all of his education and all of his learning and all the goodness of his heart he said that he met a young man and his wife and just kind of imperceptibly he made kind of some value judgments about the way they were the way they talked the way they dressed and later on he found he was totally wrong in how he judged these people. My friends, we're all guilty of this to some degree. Myself included. We, we have those, those little things deep down inside. This is something we need to look at. If there should be a place where there's true democracy, it ought to be in God's church. Worldly measurements of success, outward appearances, putting people into categories of value, is not a part of what it means to be a Christian. Back in World War I, when there was terrible trench warfare there, and those young men were being traumatized and killed and wounded. Back then, I guess they didn't know all the stuff we know now about the battle trauma. When some of these men got a break, they would be invited to these what they called rest houses. There were a group of Christian men who 
made these houses. They were just made into to places where men could come and rest, get Christian testimony, good fellowship, just a break from the, the tra traumas of war. And over these series of rest houses behind the front lines in World War I, they put a sign. And the sign read like this, all soldiers are welcome. Abandon ye all rank who enter here. All soldiers are welcome. Abandon all rank, ye who enter here. Would that banner fit at our church? All people are welcome here. Abandon all rank, ye who enter here. God looks at men, not circumstances. God looks at the soul not at the body. God sees the jewels of the mind, a heart for the Lord, a desire for the kingdom. A man is not bad because he has great income. He's not spiritual because he's poor. The two don't even equate. It does not matter. God looks deeper than all of that to see the heart. God sees us stripped of all of our luggage, and some of that stuff is just luggage, folks. That's how God sees us. You remember what Job said, naked I came out of my womb, and naked I will return? If a person is a possessor of great, great wealth, that does not make him any richer in heart, any broader in mind, any kinder in spirit. One of the great scriptures of the Old Testament that teaches so much is about the great king Belshazzar in Daniel 5. He said Belshazzar gave a great feast for his lords and ladies. There were so many, there were thousands. And it was an opulent occurrence. It was a way for Belshazzar to, to show his great strength and his great power. And there was a feast and there was dancing and reveling. And all these people came to admire Belshazzar and this great display of wealth and power that he had. In the midst of all this reveling, suddenly, what does the scripture say? There's a hand on the wall. And the hand reads a message for Belshazzar. And what was the message? Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. All of that meant nothing to God. The message went on to say, your kingdom will be taken from you this very night. And it was. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Always remember, my friends, as you go through life, whether you're young, middle-aged, or old, one day when we are finally judged, we're going to be judged and weighed in the balances of God. We're not going to be weighed by the estimation of the world or how much money we had or didn't have or how successful we were or weren't. We're going to be weighed in the balance of God. Belshazzar, with all of his wealth and all of his opulence, was weighed in the balances of God and he was light as a feather. And when we serve God, and treat people kindly and give well, give uh, great uh, substance to all people, no matter what their situation in life. Those things are heavy in the balances of God. And that's how we will be judged one day. The Christian view is there is great value and worth in every life. We are all children of God. 
Look and see the value of a person for who they are. And the things that ought to get our attention are the things of the Spirit, friendship, honesty, integrity, truth, faithfulness, kindness. That's the true nature and value of a person, and the rest is just baggage, impediments. Closing today, I want to give you portraits of two people that I've known in my ministry. The first one was at my student pastorate. You know, around Louisville, there were many little small churches that could not afford a full-time preacher. And they had students. Students would come in two, three, maybe four years at most. These young preacher boys, these churches liked to think that they were training preachers. <laughs> but that's all they could stay. Then they would graduate and they would move on and then go get them another preacher boy. And uh, so this was at my student pastorate. The man's name was Dalton Garrett. His wife's name was Ruby. Now, folks, if you could put the word country in front of them, they would be it. <laughs> They were country, everybody was country, the church was country, uh, they were that way. The church didn't have a bathroom, it had an outhouse if you chose to use it, which was a risk. Um, but just didn't have a baptistry, baptized in the creek, and we baptized some too, brother. God blessed. But what I remember about Dalton, he, by the time I got there, he had just retired. His wife's name was Ruby. Dalton and Ruby Garrett, they didn't have much of this world's good. They just lived in a small little house, walking distance to the church. They were there every day time the door opened. What I remember about, what I remember about Dalton was his big smile. He smiled all the time. He wore a little straw hat and he would greet me and uh, he would tell the funniest stories, just kept me in stitches about growing up. And uh, he was faithful there. Uh, I'd look out in, in, in the sanctuary when I was preaching, and he was, look, he was staring at me. He was still smiling, you know? And I mean, he just smiled the whole time. He was such fun to be around, such an encouragement, such a, a lovely person, Dalton Garrett from English, Kentucky. Country guy. The other guy was in my first church, first full-time church. First Baptist Church, Tryon. His name was Carol Brady. Carol Brady was the leader or the head of Brady Insurance Company right there on Main Street in Tryon. Carol was well off. He earned it. He worked hard, took care of his family, took care of church obligations. Wife was very involved. She was chairman of the pulpit committee that brought me there. He was a great guy who was a great counselor to me. Uh, I would go and, and want to have some counsel or some advice about how to proceed. Carol was the guy I went to. Carol knew. Carol knew the church, been in the church all his life. Carol knew the people. Carol was wise. He had that kind of mindset. He was wonderful, great friend to me. Two different people. You couldn't find them more different than Dalton Garrett in English, Kentucky, and Carol Brady at First Baptist Tryon. I love them both for different reasons. 
but both were precious to me. And both were precious to God. You know what the sad thing is, my friends, and I close with this. If Jesus dressed the way he usually dressed, if Jesus had stepped into the story of James 2 and maybe wasn't recognized as the teacher or healer, they just saw what they saw, a peasant man. If Jesus had stepped into the story of James 2, he would have been ushered into the corner and ignored. In that sense, my friends, the poor man in the story mostly, closely, most closely resembles the Son of God. My challenge to you, my challenge to myself, to when I see people in this community, I don't look where they live. I don't look what kind of car they drive. I don't look how they talk. I don't look at any of that. That is a person that is precious to God. And we ought to try to reach those people. Let's bow together. Help us, Father, not to be a respecter of persons. Father, help us to look to you for guidance and strength to be able to show everybody respect, everybody proper love and concern. There are many people sometimes that are going through tough times through no fault of their own. There are some people that are well off and didn't have much to do with it. There are all kinds of different people who live in all kinds of different situations. But Lord, they are all precious to you. And may they be precious to us. There be any here that want to come to this church from another. I want to accept you, Lord, as Lord and Savior. I stand ready to receive them down front. These things we ask in thy name. Amen. Our invitation hymn is 296, Jesus is Lord of all, 296, a stand please.
Father, I thank you for our service today. I thank you for each person here. Father, give us a love for others. Help us to look at people the way you looked at people. You didn't look at them with a filter or what do they have on, how much money do they have or don't have, how old they are, how young they are. You loved them all. You said, let the little children come unto me. You reached out to the struggling and, and, and the poor. You reached out to the well-to-do. It didn't matter. Lord, give us the same heart because that's the heart that you had. Bless our church and guide us and direct us. Thank you for Lynn and his committee. Continue to lead them, Lord. Go with us and guide us. These things we ask in thy name. Amen. You have been listening to the worship service at Boiling Springs Baptist Church, located at 307 South Main Street in Boiling Springs, North Carolina. Come and worship with us at your next opportunity. Thank you for listening.